0: at the early church and seeing what they thought was important. All right. These are the things that we're running after, that we are making a priority in our lives. And it started with Jesus. Like this message of this is what Jesus has done. This is who he is. And so first and foremost, they are anchoring their lives to him. And so that's where it starts. But then in Acts 2.42, we read about things that they devoted themselves to. And they thought this is what Jesus would want us to do. And so one of those things was the idea of the apostles' teachings. We need to continually learn about him and what he has done. And and what he wants for our lives and how we are to live. And so that was one of the things that they anchored themselves to. And then we also looked at this idea of community, of relationships, of fellowship. And so I'm not doing this all by myself. Let us help one another through thick and thin, okay? What's your need? Let me come alongside and help you. And so we saw that with the early church. And then the third thing that we looked at last week was this idea of communion and that when we take the bread and the juice, it is proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. But it's not just supposed to be something that I do by myself. Like it is intensely personal. Okay, God, this is between you and me, but it's not just between God and me. It is something that we do together. And so Christians all over the world are doing this, just lifting up the name of Jesus and so then today, the last thing in that one little verse of Acts 2:42, it says they, that they devoted themselves to prayer, all right? They devoted themselves to prayer. And maybe you hear that automatically, and you're like, great, A sermon on prayer, like, I don't feel like I'm good at it, or I don't feel like I've got all the to-do lists of uh, to being able to do this well, or I don't know what you think when you hear that. Maybe it's like, this is what I need to hear. But today, as we're looking at prayers, I want to see what they felt was important, In fact, if you were to look at the original Greek, it talks about how they were continually steadfast in the teachings, and in the fellowship, and in the breaking of bread, and in the prayers, plural. And so the question even could be, well, why does it say that? And then we just translate it prayer. What does it mean by the prayers? And and so maybe it's making too big of a deal out of it. However, I would also tell you that there's a possibility that it ties back to some of their Jewish roots. Like, if you look at Jews today, they pray three different times a day, in the morning and at noon and in the afternoon slash evening. There are three different time slots that they pray. And some people would go, well, maybe that was going on even back in Old Testament times. And I can't tell you 100% for sure. I'm doing all sorts of study. But I can tell you this. There are things that would lean towards, yes, that was happening. Because you look at David in Psalm chapter 55, verse 17. He talks about at evening and morning and noon. I'm crying out in distress three specific times. If you go a few more chapters and you read about Daniel, who is in captivity in Babylon, a lot of times we know, hey, the king made this rule and all that kind of stuff. But if you'd read it too, it says that he went to go pray just as he had normally three times a day. And so it looks like maybe there were these three times a day that they were praying even back then. Um, There's a great possibility that a couple of those were even kind of put together with this idea of sacrifices at temple. Because even in Exodus, it talks about a morning sacrifice and an evening sacrifice. And so maybe a couple of those were times that prayer was happening in the temple as well. And so as we're talking about the prayers, maybe it's tied to some of those things. In fact, if you look at Acts, there's three different verses that I would point out that even point towards that. In chapter 2, verse 46, it says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. So it's not just I'm coming one time a week for some service, like there is something of this dailyness going on here at the temple. In chapter 3, verse 1, it says, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. At three in the afternoon. And so, again, maybe one of those spots, that evening, afternoon one, three o'clock was one of their prayer times. And then in Acts chapter 22, verse 17, it says, When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance. And so, Paul was even talking about, I'm still at the temple here praying. And so, again, maybe there's this aspect of these three times a day. And so, when we're talking about, they continued with the prayers. Some of that could still be tied in with the way that they've been following God for centuries. But then there's also a new aspect too. I mean, maybe they start tying in some of the things that are in our gospels of Mary's song and Zechariah's song and Simeon's song. You know, at some point, the Lord's prayer becomes something that they pray over as well. And multiple different prayers start coming as well. I would tell you another thing that is new is not only are they praying at the temple or the synagogues, but now they're starting to meet together in homes, like still coming alongside that community, that, that bond, we are praying together in homes. Something else that's changed because of Jesus and how he taught people to pray, there's an intimacy between me and God. Like not just is he the almighty and he's up there and he knows everything, which is still true, but like Jesus calls him Abba and he opens this door that, man, God really does care about every aspect of my life. And so these people are praying in this intimate way that they hadn't before. And so I'm sure even they devoted themselves to the prayers as as kind of a combination of some of the things that they'd been doing, but man, also these new aspects as well. And as they prayed, they didn't just do it by themselves, but they did it in community. And when you and I pray in community, whether that's with one other person, five other people, as a huge congregation, as we're all praying, like, there is something that happens that it brings us closer to God. Like, there's something that when you're praying and you're listening to other people's prayers, and you're like, I've never thought about that. Or like the thing that you just prayed for even was over me and how helpful that was. There is something that brings us closer to God, but then when we're also praying with other people, it brings us closer to them. Like there's a vulnerability that I'm now offering up about what's going on in my life. Someone else is praying for me. And now all of a sudden we are, we're stuck together. We're helping each other in a way that we were not before we started praying together as a community. And the people here in the early church, when they're praying together, it's not so that someone will look at me and think of me grander. Like they're not putting on a mask. They're not, man, I hope these people think this about me. They're being completely real with one another so that as a community, they can make it through life. And I think about what Nick said last week, just in the simple idea about church, it is not something that we do, but it's who we are. And that's what these early Christians were doing is we are coming together because that's who we are. And we are lifting each other up because that is what we do. That is who God has made us to be. You know what? I uh, even looked this week. I've heard about it before. It's called Prayer of the Early Christians. There's a book you can buy, $6 on Amazon. uh, If you have, you know, plus shipping, unless you have Prime, then you can get it there, all that kind of stuff. But like in it, there's these different chapters. And one is just prayers of the New Testament. And then there's also another chapter, prayers of first century Christians. And another one, second century, third century, fourth century, fifth century. And if you read this book, like all it is, is the prayer. It's no extra dialogue. It's no telling you thing. You just get to see some of the prayers that people were praying so many years ago go. And even reading that just you and them, man, it feels like there is a connection that God wants us to have. Just being able to pray with other people, not all by yourself. Now, sometimes I'll hear people say, "Um, but doesn't the Bible say you're supposed to pray like in your closet, like you're supposed to be all by yourself. And some of this group prayer, that's not really biblical, is it? Well, here's what I want to tell you. If you've ever heard that, turn to well, and even if you haven't, turn to Matthew chapter six, if you've got it, okay? Because this is where they get that text from. The idea of, well, I'm supposed to go into my closet to pray. In Matthew chapter six, because Jesus is teaching on prayer in the Sermon on the Mount in this section, all right? And so Matthew chapter six, he starts at verse number five on this idea of prayer, because he's talking about all these religious things, these spiritual acts that we do, and one of those is prayer. So starting at verse five, he says, "And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received the reward in full." It says, "But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words." And then it says, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. And so yes, in this section, as he's talking about prayers, he's teaching, this is what it means to pray. He does say, go to your closet, or, go to your own room, but I don't know if you understood why said, because I don't want you to be like the Pharisees, these teachers of the law, who are standing on the corner and they're praying. But it's not just praying on the corner, they're doing it for the purpose of people seeing them and going, That guy's holy. Like he's got it all together. Maybe praying really loud. Oh God, you know, this is what I need and and everything. And so everyone is watching them. It is all about them. He even then turns around and says, don't use all these big words. Don't keep babbling on so that people go, man, I'm in awe of them. Like he said, that's not what prayer is about. He said, you know what? If you end up being like them, like you will have received your reward in full. What reward is that? That people think you're amazing, that you're holy. God's like, that's not what it's all about. Like, I don't see that as amazing and holy. Like, I see that as a show. And so, yes, he's saying you can go by yourself. But again, this idea that we can pray together, man, as long as we're being genuine. God, here is my heart. Here is our heart that we are lifting up to you. And even at the end, he talks about this idea of forgiveness because forgiveness is something that helps me and the other person and the community. So man, we can pray very genuinely still as a group. In fact, there's power that comes from praying as groups. In fact, in the book of Acts, I went through and just looked at different times when the people were praying together, not individual prayers, times that they were praying together. What was important for them to pray together about? And so in Acts chapter 1, right after the disciples have seen Jesus go back up into heaven, like he has ascended into heaven, it says that they come back in, they go to a room, and in chapter 1 verse 14, it says they joined constantly in prayer. Okay, God, help us to know, what are we supposed to do next? Where do we go? Man, with what we've just seen, probably still a little bit of shock, okay? But God, help us with this. Right after this situation, Peter is talking with all the disciples. He says, we need to fill the role of Judas Iscariot. Now that he has died, we need someone else to fill that spot. And so they present two different men. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 24, it says, Then they prayed, and they said, God, you know their hearts. You know the hearts of these two men. Will you show us which one is to take this place? And so again, in leadership, they are praying, God, will you give us wisdom as we're making this decision? That's not the only time you see prayer over leaders. In fact, in Acts chapter six, we see the apostles as the church is growing, they're not able to handle everything. Like there's so many duties that they're starting to miss the needs specifically here of widows being able to be fed. And so like, we don't wanna miss this. And so they say, we need to find men of wisdom and who are following after the spirit to be able to take some of these roles. And so they decide certain people. And then in chapter six, verse four, it talks about how they prayed and they laid their hands upon these men, these deacons. That's where we get this role, this idea that they're servants. And so we see this prayer over leadership. Still not the last time. If we fast forward to about chapter 13, we see these guys named Paul and Barnabas. Maybe you've heard of them. And they're about to go out and encourage churches and start start some churches or help people understand, you've been worshiping God, let me tell you about Jesus. And so we know them, we call them these missionary journeys. And so right before they're about to go out on their first one, there are these prophets who are there. And it says that God worked on their hearts. And in chapter 13, verse three, it says that these men fasted and they prayed and they placed their hands upon Paul and Barnabas before they're about to go out. God, will you be with them and in their journeys here and in their words? And then later in chapter 14, we even see that Paul and Barnabas, they've kind of gone on their missionary journey. On their way back, they're hitting some of those churches again. And specifically in in Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, in chapter 14, verse 23, it says, when they were in those churches, they appointed elders at each one of those places and they prayed over them and they fasted. Praying over leaders is something that we see the early church doing. There's also this story where Paul and his new traveling companion Silas are in prison in chapter 16. It's because they've cast out a demon. The family didn't like that. Like Paul and Silas are even beaten for this and they're thrown in prison. And in chapter 16, verse 25, we read this idea that at midnight, they were singing, okay? Sometimes people know the story and they, hey, they were singing after being beaten. That's amazing. But also in verse 25, you know what they were doing? They were praying. They were praying and they were singing. And if you know the rest of that story, like immediately after some of this, this great earthquake happens and the jailer and his family end up coming to know Jesus. They end up being saved because of all of this. Man, we see the importance of, God, we can't do this on our own, but we are worshiping you and asking you to be in all of this. You know, even if we were jumped jump back, there's Peter and John, and they've actually been questioned by the Sanhedrin. You know, why are you doing this? They had just healed someone and all these things. And they are then released. And in chapter four of Acts, there's a section that it just is called the believer's prayer in my Bible. And so starting in verse 23, it says, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and they reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And they said, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by your Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And I'm going to jump down to verse 27. It says, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you had anointed. They did what your power and your will had de- decided beforehand should happen. And they said, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and to perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And They're saying, God, you've been with us, but man, will you give us courage? Will you help us to speak your name? Will you help us to live the way you want to? And right after that prayer is done, verse 31 says... And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God boldly. Like, here's the people are like, God, we cannot do this on our own. We are coming to you for help. In fact, there's one other time where Peter is in prison in Acts chapter 12, and the apostle James has just been killed. And so it seems like Peter's about to be next because Herod sees what's going on. And all right, I'm going to do this. And it says in chapter 12, verse 5, that so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. So they're praying. And in the middle of the night, if you know the story, like God sends an angel just kind of unlocks the door, goes past the sleeping guards, and Peter is freed. In fact, he doesn't even believe it until he's quite a ways out. He just thinks he's in a trance, and he then understands, I'm freed. And so he goes to the house where all the apostles are, and he knocks on the door, and a servant girl comes to the door. She's like, it's Peter. And so she runs in to tell everyone, hey, Peter's at the door. And they're like, you're out of your mind. There's no way. And so she's like, no, no, really, he is at the door. And they finally go, okay, it must just be his angel, all right? That's what's going on. And she's like, no, you have to come see. So they go and they open the door, and there is Peter, and they they let him come in. And it says that they are astonished. Which I don't know about you, but that kind of makes me feel good. Because have you ever prayed for something, then it happens, you're like, oh, God, you actually did that. Like, I'm kind of good, feeling good that the, even the early church, they didn't have it down perfectly. God, do this. God, do this. God, do this. You did that? Man, that's crazy. Like, I just... see this idea of coming to God as a group. And man, there is power in that. There's power in praying together. I'll tell you though, it's not always going to go the way we want when we pray in groups still. Like God is not a genie. Like he sees things bigger than we are. Man, I would love for things sometimes to go the way we want, but God knows. But I can guarantee when we are praying, like he listens. Someone that I know talks to his congregation and says, you know what, when I'm talking about prayer, I talk about this stick of dynamite. I said, you know what, I could go dig a hole outside, put this stick of dynamite in there and then light it and it's gonna cause a hole. But man, if I put a whole bunch of sticks of dynamite together and then light it, like the impact that that's gonna have is much, much greater. And that's what happens when you and I don't just pray by ourselves, but we come together as a community to pray. God listens to those things. And this idea of prayer being something that's very powerful is not just something in the past and so Friday, I called my friend, Pastor Jim. Some of you have heard of Pastor Jim. He's in Memphis. He's a church, uh, leads a church that we've sometimes gone on for mission trips, come alongside, gotten to know. And uh, they're not a big church. They're not a wealthy church, but they are a praying church. All right, that is what they do. And so I said, hey, I remember you telling me a story recently. Can you give me some of the details? And he said, yeah, let me tell you about that. So not too long ago, they were, you know, on a Sunday morning or whatever, they looked up and realized there were some spots on their ceiling in their sanctuary, and then they started noticing them a couple other places. And like, ah, we're gonna need a new roof, okay? And so he sought out who to do, who to have come in and do this. There was a Christian contractor that they looked thirty years, no complaints about them. He's like, this is the guy that I want to come in, and so he came and they did this estimate for him and gave him the number. He said I almost fainted. It's <laughs> like I don't know that I could tell my congregation this number, you know, because it's so big. It's like, but they wanted to know, and God is big enough, and so like it's a pretty big church building and uh, the cost was going to be $156,000 to do the roof. All right. So he's like, okay, well, we trust God. He is big. And so we're just going to continue praying. And so the people began to give their regular tithes and offerings, but then also this specifically for the roof. He said they did it for quite a while, but just being completely honest, they weren't getting anywhere close. Like it wasn't even getting close to that number. Then he also told me, there's a couple that have been going to their church, and the husband, uh, when he hit 96, he passed away. The wife continued coming to the church, but then her health started declining, so they had the online thing, so she was able to watch while she was at home. Eventually, she had to be moved to a nursing home, and so Pastor Jim continued going just to build that relationship, that community that we talk about. I'm not just leaving you to the side, and coming alongside, and this past June, she passed away. And so anyway, they're continuing just, God, what are you wanting us to do about this roof? And on a Thursday, which is important because right now on Thursdays, that's their prayer and fasting day. So as a church, they are praying and fasting on Thursday. So anyway, on Thursday, he got this phone call from the niece of this couple because they didn't have any kids. She said, hey, I'm going through the will and I'm kind of letting people know things and part of their inheritance they wanted to pass along to the church. She said, I'm going to be honest, when I saw the number, I kind of had to do a double take and make sure that that was correct. He said, okay. And so she said, they left in the will for you $147,000. And like, if you would look at their lifestyle, you wouldn't have any clue they had any of that, but it's what they wanted to do. And so at this time, Pastor Jim called back the contractor and said, hey, I know I'd said we weren't going to do anything until we got the money, but now we have a promise of the money. And I know supplies have gone up. So if you could give us a new estimate, we would be able to um, be able to start moving forward. So they did. They sent out a drone. They had some infrared things. And he came back and said, you know what? After doing this a little bit deeper look, I realized that we're not going to have to just strip and start completely over like we'd originally thought. We thought there might be moisture in the roof, but there's not. And so because of that, the cost is only going to be $136,000. Like they already have the money and beyond to be able to do this. In fact, when I called him on Friday, he said, and just to let you know, they're actually starting on the roof today. And there are those pictures on Facebook that they are starting the pictures. And again, they would tell you that it wasn't their timing. But again, God is the one who's in control. In fact, he told me these exact words. He says, my congregation, he said that we know that God can do anything and there's nothing you can do that can convince us otherwise. Like time and time again, they see God come through in his timing. You know what? It is important for us to pray by ourselves and have that connection with God. But man, he also wants us to be praying together in groups as a community, as a body. And you know what? This idea, maybe you're like, but I don't feel confident praying out loud. Can I tell you this? That the sooner that you get plugged in, the sooner it becomes more natural. It's just like anything that you do, once you start something new and you're not very good at it at the beginning, the more that you do it, it becomes natural. And so it's something that God wants us to do. And even like we've been talking as a staff and and leaders and elders and just this idea of like how important prayer is. Like you've maybe seen that some of these times we pray part of our services, like not just from the stage, but we want you to be praying. We've had some prayer nights. We have another one tonight, you know, at seven o'clock coming and just being able to pray as a congregation. One of the things too, is we're going to make this decision point starting next week, kind of a prayer room. All right, and so in there, we've bought some different furniture, set things up. We wanna eventually be able to have a prayer wall that people can put prayer requests on. Um, You know, sometimes during the service, like there's a song that hits you, and it's like, man, I wanna be able just to pray and spend time with God. You can do that in your seat, but we wanna offer that as a spot too, or people can talk and pray back there. Um, After the service, have it open. During the week, have that open that people can pray. Because again, we think that, man, when we're connected to the Spirit, He can do bigger things than when we just try to do it on our own. So I'm excited just to see even what God does with that in prayer. But can I tell you, whenever I speak about prayer, like from up here, I'm going to be honest, it's a little bit intimidating because I can't tell you all the specifics of how everything works. I can tell you what scripture says, and I can understand God wants us to do this, but I can't tell you if you do A, B, and C, God's going to answer your prayer the way you want it. I can't tell you all those things. And so sometimes it's a little bit intimidating, but I can also tell you that it's true that God says, reach out to me and I am listening and I will completely have everything under control. I've talked about Acts and i talked about even, you know, my friend, Pastor Jim. So I'm gonna get real personal from this week. Uh, Friday morning, I got a phone call after dropping off my son to school uh, that my mom had passed away in the middle of the night unexpectedly, all right? Didn't see it coming, there was nothing saying that that was necessarily gonna happen. So we got our other kiddos to school. and My wife and I, you know, we're talking during the day at different moments. That morning after dropping off kids, I got a text from someone who I served alongside of at my last church, which was 12 years ago. And she simply just said, thinking of the Jones clan and praying for you this morning. So I didn't know if one of my sisters had reached out to her and kind of let her know anything, but nope, they hadn't. She just had listened to the Holy spirit and sent that text. And there were years that we worked together, that we served alongside in the mountaintops and in the valleys. There are so many times that we just prayed together. As I'm telling you about this idea of praying in community, there is something that God does that brings us together as we pray together that cannot be explained. And God wants us to have that connection And even thinking about that and, you know, then talking about death, you know, with my wife, like I'm at a place where I really do have a peace and a comfort because of the hope of Jesus. Like it's not the period of the sentence, you know, there's still more to come. And so again, there's emotions that come up, but like knowing that, and we were talking about maybe looking into different resources, especially for our youngest daughter, just to talk about death. And she's already done the research. She's got lists, you know, she's got one that is very Christian oriented. Hey, here is what we believe about death. But because of her job, she's also put one together that was supposed to be kind of not spiritual. Like, hey, these are for families that don't have any kind of, you know, desire with that. And she would tell you like looking at those books, it's kind of sad. Because it just talks about death being is this is part of life. And maybe you can think about the memories, but then you just keep going on. And man, I am so glad. I am so glad that that is not the period. I'm so glad that's not the end of the story. I am so glad that there is hope that you and I can have because of Jesus. So I tell you even all that, not to like say, oh, I hope you have pity on me, okay? Like, I genuinely don't want that. Man, I hope that you understand that what we do here, we are not playing a game. Like, we are not just coming for a hobby. We don't come sit here on Sunday morning to make ourselves feel better. Man, we come because we are worshiping the God who has saved us, and we do it with one another so we do not have to do this by ourselves. It's what the early Christians did, and it's what we are called to do. And could I challenge you, if you feel still very lonely, okay? I'm not pointing you out, but let me ask this question. Have you done what you can to actually try to connect with other people? Okay, I don't have the answer to that, but have you done what you can to really try to connect with even a small community here at this church that you can be led by Jesus and be encouraged by them? And if not, can you hear it from the bottom of my heart to try to find some people to connect with, to have that community the way that he wants you to have? And so we're going to be singing here in just a moment this idea of the wonderful cross, and it is because of the hope of Jesus, you know, because he died for you and me, that again, we can have peace even among the storms. But I'm reminded of the song that we already sang, this idea that we worship the same God. The same God that did what he did in the book of Acts is still the same God that we serve today. And so we can come to him with everything. So this morning, like if you're like, I don't wanna play the game anymore, like I want Jesus, I wanna know the hope, I I just even need to know about him, I'm ready to give my life to him today, any of those things that I would encourage you to make your way to the decision point. And and again, I say this sometimes, but if there's something that is on your heart that you've been trying to tackle by yourself, you're like, I don't wanna do this, you are not meant to do this by yourself, understand that we wanna pray alongside of you in our community, all right, in our body of believers here, that we live each day for him. And so it doesn't matter what this week has in store. We don't even know. But you know what? We do know the one who is faithful and we can walk with him. So let's give him praise knowing that he's got us. Let's stand and sing.